are listening to the Big Blue Rock Pod, produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. This podcast is a fun, conversational approach to discussing all things geology and earth processes. We talk emerging ideas and research, along with classic topics in earth science for all levels of interest. Let's do the show. Hey, this is Matt Crawford with the Big Blue Rock Pod. Um, I'm here with my co-hosts, Doug Curl and Sarah Arpin. How are we doing? Good. How are you doing, Matt? Um, So, yeah, I think to tee this episode up, we increasingly like to talk about and evaluate how geology overlaps and connects with other disciplines. And we've had several guests on this podcast that are experts in other areas besides our science, and we talk about how geology is connected to those topics and just how we all need to be aware of seeing these connections between scientific disciplines and the importance of that. And so I think um, that's going to be evident with our topic today and our guest today, which is extension and not, not um, geologic extension or strain on rocks, but <laughs> the, other, oh, right. yeah. the other extensions, wow. <laughs> right? Am I right? Um, and so by extension, I mean how we look at and fulfill the mission of, of a land-grant university and what's all, all the programs and things involved with that. Before we get there, uh, let's go ahead and introduce our guest, uh, who is Brad Lee. Brad has a BS from agronomy and a minor in geology uh, from Oklahoma State University, an MS in soil science from Oklahoma State, PhD uh, in soil and water sciences from University of California, Riverside. Uh, Brad was a associate and assistant professor and extension specialist at Purdue from 2001 to 2008. Brad is currently an associate and extension professor in Department of Plant and Soil Sciences here at UK. So Brad, welcome to the Big Blue Rock Pod. And um, why don't you give us a little snapshot, nutshell version of, of what you do? Ah, thanks, Matt. Um, I am a, a, an extension professor, so what I do is I uh, engage the public. So uh, a teaching, somebody with a teaching appointment here at the university, they would be engaged in uh, mostly 18 to 22-year-olds on a weekly basis. And uh, what the extension faculty do is we run around the state and talk to clientele groups, various clientele groups. So we have various communities. The agricultural community is a major one that the College of Ag addresses. And I should say College of Agriculture, Food, and Environment. We changed our name about, oh, yeah. I don't know, eight years ago? Cafe, years ago. right? Cafe, cafe. yes. <laughs> we are cafe. Nice. So uh, various communities around the state, and uh, we have an agent, an extension agent, or an office that covers three major areas of cooperative extension service in every county. All 120 counties have this, and that's 4-H, that's our youth uh, uh, engagement. We have ag and natural resources, and then we have family and consumer sciences. We have at least those three areas covered in every, every county. Okay. Um, we, so we like to start, start basic here on our, our podcast. So what, what is, uh, you mentioned some of this just now, but what, what is UK Cooperative Extension? One, one thing I saw in, in the little bit of research I did was, um, taking the university to the people. I don't know if that's on your all's website or just the extension background website, but I was like, that's a really nice way to put it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, 1862, the Morrill Act established land-grant universities, and that's to educate the public. And then in 1914, the Smith-Lever Act 
provided funding for the Cooperative Extension Service. So we've been around, the Cooperative Extension Service has been around for over 100 years. Making a difference in the lives of Kentucky citizens. Yes, with, very, the, with these areas of, exactly. of interest. So we take, it's, uh, I guess at the time they were concerned that they, as in the decision makers, were concerned that uh, all the uh, knowledge was going to be kept in the ivory tower. And, and the focus of this publicly funded university and the, uh, the finances provided by the Smith Lever Act was to take that knowledge and disseminate it across the state. So we're a land grant university, and Kentucky State is a land grant university. Is that right? Correct. Um, so you most, mentioned most this. states have these, oh. right? Or yeah, most other states have extension, I guess. Yes, yeah. if there's a land grant university, so yeah. there should be an extension service, corporate okay. extension service. Yeah. Now they're not all handled the same way. Yeah, it differs by state, I guess. And correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah. We're we're very fortunate, and I'm going to uh, put this plug out there that Kentucky. Uh, we still have an office in every county. Some, some states have decided uh, they can't support that, and they've closed some of those county offices and went to regional uh, support. But we still have local support in every county. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Huh. Yeah, 120 counties in this relatively small state. Uh, so you, you may have mentioned this. So extent, the extension offices and services are under uh, CAFE? Uh, yes, okay. yes. It's in, the, it's in the College of Agriculture, Food, and Environment. Okay. Yes. Um, and so that, uh, what are some other services in there? You mentioned Ag and Natural Resources, 4-H. What else is in there? So it's, it's uh, Ag and Natural Resources, 4-H, and Family and Consumer Sciences. Okay. And uh, they, they run various programs. Of course, we've, we've been helping agriculture. That's how we kind of got started. We're going to help uh, people produce food because back in, you know, Early on, uh, turn of the century, a lot more of us were producing food for ourselves than we do now. So we've we've evolved with the population. How most of us are moving into more urban centers. So we are helping various communities. Uh, we do have various programs for these urban areas. We uh, we support the Master Gardener program. That's a great example uh, of folks that uh, come together to to help with the local uh, gardens or, or feeding local folks. And then we also participate in the expanded food and uh, nutrition education program. That that would be. Uh, FNEP, if you've heard of that. Oh, yeah. Um, so do you, are uh, the offices in every county, I, I really love that, and that's impressive. Are, do you have counties that are more participatory than others or have oh, more uh, stuff? Some certainly. The way the funding comes in, we have federal dollars that, that come into cooperative extension, but there's also local support to support that office. So if there's more local support, they might have more agents. For example, there are numerous communities that, or counties that also have a horticulture agent in addition to an agricultural natural resource agent. Now, that hort agent will typically address more of the homeowner uh, calls as well as commercial nursery uh, type of questions. Okay. And it's open to everybody? Does it cost money? Uh, it's, uh, it's totally free. So, wow. so yeah, this, this expertise is available. So contact your county cooperative extension office and, and uh, see what they offer. The, all of them have a website. That's cool. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, that's actually one of the main oh, reasons amazing. I also wanted to have you on. I, I think we, I don't know, not put our heads in the sand, but I, I don't, I didn't, I've been here for 20 years and I don't really know a lot about the extension offices yeah. and right. the programs, and that's really not, <laughs> that's not good. I took this, when I lived in Tennessee, I, it was through their extension, but I took this gardening course. I think it was like a six to eight week course. Wow. Pretty extensive. And I think it costs $20. 
And that was for the copying fee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> this is amazing. I got That's this big cool. binder of like oh, all this cool. really good information. I mean, it's yeah, the resources are really great. Um, but yeah, a lot of people may not know about. Yeah. So that's so why we're are here. You, are you an agent or are you, you're a... Well, I'm an extension professor. Okay. And then, then uh, we also, uh, some of us call ourselves extension specialists. Yeah. Um, you can be a specialist and not a professor, but a professor just means I'm associated with the department. Yeah. Uh, so I'm in the plant and soil sciences department and every department right. uh, essentially in the College of Ag will have extension folks. So essentially my number one clientele is that county agent. Okay. If I get a call from the, the, that county agent, I'm going to try to address their, their question, their issue as soon as possible because they're asking me because one of their clientele is asking them. Yeah. So we try to get them up to speed as quickly as possible. And the more that they know, I mean, that, it's a very challenging job because they have to know a whole lot about a variety a of, of topics. Right. So, so you know, they, they know a lot about cattle. They know a lot about growing something in the garden it's mm. a wide variety of questions that they're going to get so when they don't know they call, call one of us and uh there's there's a bunch of us on campus and we know a whole lot about very little so <laughs> <laughs> we try to identify who would be the best expert for them to to answer that mm. question yeah it's 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 very much like the way college was intended to be and not sort of the we can cut this out, but uh, sort of the uh, <laughs> corporatization of universities and what we're seeing with you know a, a lot of privatization of the services and things here at UK, and then you got extension and stuff you do and communicating with 120 counties and these agents who are disseminating amazing information to the Commonwealth. That's like the model that I think we all like to see. I don't. Is that right? That's what a lot of us signed up for. Right. That's what you signed up for. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I mean, that goes to our mission, too. I mean, we're, not, yeah. we're not a part of CAFE, but we're part right. of UK, part of the land-grant university, and I f- feel our mission is pretty similar. I mean, we're, our mission statement is partly to deliver geologic information to the public, to yep. Kentucky. So, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, it's kind of the same mission just different ways i guess Mm -hmm. not as we're not as formally set up for it i guess but um it's a big part of what we do yeah yeah disseminating knowledge and providing a service for the public right absolutely yeah yeah yep geologic information so does extension do you think they get questions about geology or i mean i know it's very ag focused but i'm just curious whether they Oh, yeah. For example, yeah. Uh, if, I get a, if I get a question about s- somebody's calling me about irrigation on one of their fields, I forward that question to Glenn Beck, who is <laughs> oh, yeah, right. part of you yeah. out yeah. in uh, yeah. the Western Kentucky yeah. office. Because, yep. I mean, you guys have the expertise for drilling wells, groundwater. I, I'm, I'm not the best person, so I find the best person, and I usually give Glenn a heads up yeah. and say, hey, I've got a question that's coming your way. Well, you and I have talked about uh, me going to some county extension offices and talking about my landslide oh, yes. research so I've already I've communicated with some of your colleagues on that and it, that's a perfect opportunity for me we've we've been doing a lot of work with landslide susceptibility and risk and if I can bring that knowledge to different group of people than I normally do and and talk about benefits of that and even glean ideas from um, local citizens in these counties, and that's that's what I want to do. So 
Oh, absolutely, that, man. That, that will happen. I think you're going to have a, a big crowd, uh, particularly from the eastern side of the state, yeah. when you when you talk about that. Yeah. Very timely. So um, other, I, I just jotted down some other research areas, and Brad, you can get as specific or, or general as you want here, but um, water quality, soil quality, ag production systems, urban impacts. So it's, we're not, you'll do more than just ag. Oh, um, sure. Um, uh, nutrient management, tobacco, weed science, wheat, soils, hemp, grains, turf, is all that? Uh, we got people for all that. Wow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, we have some folks that are focused in on a specific commodity. For for example, we have a, a, somebody that has expertise in soybeans, somebody that has expertise in corn. Uh, they work together, obviously. That's a part of a, a agricultural system. Uh, and that's just on the extension side. Then we've also got all the research folks that mm. are, uh, you know, uh, doing some fundamental research that then the extension folks take out to, out to the state. So it's it's I'd love to say it's a, a well-oiled machine, but it, it, it's more of a hey, I got this question. You know, who's who knows how to address this? And that's, I love that. That's kind of how it works. Yeah, I know Jim Nelson. Did I tell you that? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're basketball buddies. Yeah, excellent. Uh, he run, he's a, what's he he uh, is in the lab over there. Yes, yes, yeah. sci- uh, scientist uh, one or two. Yeah, he's yeah. he's very helpful. In fact, he came over and helped us rebuild our our, ah. our broken furnace on our uh, CN analyzer. So he's an incredible resource for us. Yeah, uh, nice. please don't take him away from us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so who um, extension activities? You you mentioned some of this already, but who who else? do you all work closely with? I mean, you got, you got the extension offices, but what other groups? Uh, a lot of us work closely with the NRCS. Uh, those folks, uh, they also uh, are in counties, and they're, they are trying to protect our natural resources, uh, so it's kind of some of our work goes hand-in-hand. Hand. Um, I'd say, uh, personally, my, my uh, uh, the two entities that I work with the most, Architect and Geological Survey and the NRCS. Mm-hmm. That's who I work with the most for my, my community. So uh, who I work for a lot of times, who uh, the folks that fund some of the work, uh, that would be our commodity groups. So we've got the uh, Kentucky Soybean uh, Promotion Board, uh, the Corn Board, and then we have a Small Grains uh, Commodity wow. Board. And okay. those folks are always interested. And that's they're typically that's they're very applied issues, and they're you know concerned about running a business, growing crops. How do the farmers, how does the agricultural community uh, uh, stay in business and uh, feed a, a very large population that continues to grow. Yeah, does that does that fluctuate like other arenas? Like like we here we talk about you know the energy sector and um, it, you know petroleum geology you know f- fluctuating. D- does does that does that fluctuate like commodities and, and crops and stuff depending on what's going on in the world and, and, and weather and climate and it's important at this time and it, it tails off and then it gets more important again and well I think food is always important so yeah. food production is always important uh, certainly the the price per bushel is is very uh, is critical that's kind of how we gauge how how's the agricultural community doing so when prices are high um, these commodity boards are kind of flush and then the research dollars that they're able to provide the university I think are a little bit higher during those flush years and they'll they'll decrease so it's a it's the way that that's set up is for every bushel of that particular grain that's sold there's a, a small amount of money that goes into this fund and then it's a board that decides how that money gets spent hmm. interesting 
Um, okay, cool. Let's let's talk about some of your your specific projects. Um, so, what one one thing Sarah and Doug and I were talking about when we were had you in mind as a guest was was pet waste, poop and pee. Oh and yeah, that, that got us all fired <laughs> up, of course. <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> Uh, so pet, pet waste um, is an issue, and it's uh, part of a project, projects you're working on? Oh, you bet. Uh, okay. So I'm, I'm, the way I've, I've organized the, this the program is I uh, let's, let's uh, back up a little bit, talk about stormwater. Sure. Mm -hmm. so, so we have over 100 regulated communities in the state that, that MS4, so that's Municipal Separate Storm Sewer System Communities. And, and the, the EPA is trying to uh, encourage communities, uh, so it's really they don't incentivize, they're more of a stick than, a, than an incentive, to get these communities to uh, separate their uh, combined sewers. So a lot of times our stormwater and our many communities, or particularly in the past, our storm sewer as well as our uh, sanitary sewer were combined. Mm. And all of it went to our sewer treatment plant. And that's a whole lot of fresh water and rainwater that is just really going to overwhelm a lot of our, our sewer system. Uh, you know, how, how do we manage that, right? So it'd be a lot better if we took that clean water, that rainwater, that stormwater, and have that go to a creek, some sort of conveyance system where it doesn't have to go to our sewage treatment plant. So that's what the EPA is encouraging us to do, because if you, if you have this combined sewer a lot of times, particularly in the winter, when we don't, when the ET evapotranspiration is is low, and we get a lot of precipitation in the spring, not in the form, in the form of rainfall, then it's going to overwhelm that that combined or that that sewer uh, treatment system, and we're going to have it sending it directly to a river or a creek without treatment. So we have raw sewage going to a creek. Now, of course, they're they're regulated, they're all permitted, and and we all know it's going to happen, but we're trying to get that changed separate now, them once they're separated now that storm sewer that fresh water that lands on our driveway and raindrop it's going to pick up whatever's in the driveway and it's going to take it to a pipe or conveyance system several pipes or a gutter or something and send it to the creek without treatment mm -hmm. so anything that was on that driveway whether that's oil or fertilizer or dog waste it's going to get sent to that creek without treatment so we are trying to educate the public particularly in these municipal separate storm sewer system communities to be mindful of that and you know don't fertilize concrete because it yeah. you're taking that nutrient directly into the creek without being treated yeah i mean it seems like it's the co the, the combined effort there to seems messy and costly and if you oh, separate it, it I don't know. Yeah, you're, you're ripping up streets. It's, it's a very long process. Um, so here in the city of Lexington, we all pay. You guys see this on your water bill or your sewer bill. I think that's where it is. But we, have a, we pay a, a water quality fee. And that fee raises, I don't know, $12, $15 million to, to address our cracked sewers and, and fix them to, from leaking and protect our local streams and waterways. So that's, you know, we were under consent decree. The city of Lexington was, and, and other other cities also have this fee, and others don't. They take it out of their general budget, but th but the bottom line is is that's what they're after. So so these MS4 communities are regulated. EPA says thou shalt do these six things. Two of those things, Cooperative Extension Service has been doing for over 100 years. That's public <laughs> education and public involvement. 
that's what we are good at. That's what we've been doing. So it, you know, tap that knowledge base. Exactly. And and the connectivity we have, we have people in all 33 counties that, that deal with this, 34 counties that deal with this. So, so we have 104, you know, or over a hundred regulated communities and they're, I think they're in 34 counties. So, you know, those 34 counties, we could be convincing our agents or talking to our agents, hey, you're already, you're already doing a lot of education and a lot of that will count towards the EPA uh, requirements. So why don't we share that information? So that's mm-hmm. what we're trying to do is get that, that program going where Gare County agents work closely with the MS4 as far as their public education, public involvement. Um, all right, more importantly, Brad, where's the poop come in? Where's Great. The, okay. All right, so now we'll get to the good stuff. <laughs> all right, so uh, if, if we think about dogs, uh, uh, dog waste, now, does anybody know the nutrient content of dog waste? Oh. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, I thought you were going to come up. So I didn't either. So we, we, uh, we set out to find out. Right. We wanted to know uh, what is the nitrogen content, what is the phosphorus content. And those two nutrients are important because they will cause eutrophication in our freshwater systems, you know, phosphorus as well as nitrogen. We try to keep them out of freshwater. So how much? Well, we didn't know. So we, we went out to our dog parks and we swapped out the bin bags and, and dog parks. So yeah, these yeah. bins, you know, people yeah. toss them and they, they you know, surprise, it's like Christmas. 24 hours later, there's all these individually packaged samples right there, right? What's that guy doing at the dog park taking home the dog poop? So we collected 1,005 uh, dog waste samples from dog parks. So most of them uh, around Lexington, you're all, you know, 24 hours, all we, all we left it there for. So the idea was we don't have repeat customers. We don't oh. have repeat samples. Oh. Right. Yeah. So that's what we did we collected a thousand five of them we analyzed it for nitrogen and phosphorus and it turns out you have about four percent nitrogen and three percent phosphorus in dog waste now the epa will tell you that a dog produces 275 pounds of dog waste per year that's a little on the on the heavy side those are i think they did their their work for the the uh sled dogs up in alaska all right my my dogs i get a couple of 35 pounders they don't produce that much yeah that's a lot of waste so so uh but it's you know it comes out to be two and a half pounds of phosphorus that you're adding to your backyard if you don't pick up dog waste and your dog produces 270 pounds 75 pounds so you know that's wet weight and we don't need to get in the details about moisture content of dog waste Unless you really want to know, but uh, but the, it comes out to be about two and a half pounds that you're adding if you don't pick up dog waste. Now, if you think about that, plus we're going to go out and we're going to apply phosphorus. Why? Because somebody on TV tells us to go feed your lawn, and you're not thinking about contacting your county cooperative extension agent who has expertise in this very thing. So you listen to the person on TV, go feed your lawn. You go during halftime on a Sunday, you go buy that 50 pound bag of triple 17 fertilizer and you put that down because you only have 10 minutes, you know, 15 minutes before <laughs> second half starts. <laughs> you really, you know, you're probably over applying phosphorus. In fact, if you, so we, are you talking about like, basic lawn fertilizer you buy at Home Depot or something? Big box store. Yeah. yeah Any okay. big box store is going to, you know, uh, we'd love to tell people like if, if, if you're not going to get your soil tested, now this, this is one very important. And many counties, you can take a soil test, drop it off to your county extension office, and it will be $7 or it will be free. 
it's a very nominal cost or is subsidized by some other entity that's going to cover the cost of that. And that will tell you whether you need phosphorus or whether you don't. And that works for garden soil or your lawn. And uh, you can contact your county extension office, right? Uh, or, you know, if you want to know the contact information, you can go just, just do a Google search. You type in the county name, period, CA, period, dot UKY, dot EDU. We will it. link to this in the bio on this yeah, we'll episode. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, Contact that county extension office. Ask them how to take a soil test. They'll tell you. You drop it off, and they'll come back with recommendations. Now, we looked at from 1990 to 2015, 25 years worth of soil test data. Every every one that we had, we separated out into agricultural soils and uh, urban soils. And the urban soils are pretty easy. It's like lawn and garden, <laughs> versus pasture and row crop. Mm -hmm. We found that over time the soil test phosphorus levels are going up in the urban area and they're going down in the agricultural area. Now, we'd love to say that's because Cooperative Extension Service is doing such a great job educating our producers, our agricultural producers, ag, yeah. that we don't need as much phosphorus, but I think it also might be tied to economics, right? So a farmer's, their fertilizer bill is gonna be, you know, $700,000. Some weekend, uh, you know, uh, uh, lawn care, like a homeowner, they're going to be putting it down, you know, just based on speed and what's on the end cap at a big box store. Somebody told them to feed their lawn. They may not think about what they're, what they're buying, what the environmental impacts are. They're just going to go down and put the whole bag down when really it's, it's based on pounds per thousand square feet. If you actually take the time to read the bag, there's a recommended rate based on that. Mm -hmm. So it's pounds of nutrient per square feet. Now, we looked at by county. We, we split that out, and only 3% of the lawns in the city of Lexington would benefit from a phosphorus application. Three out of 100 hmm. oh, would wow. benefit. <laughs> yeah. Now, 11 states have decided they cannot educate their way out of excess nutrients. They decided they're not going to let homeowners buy phosphorus without a soil test. Hmm. So there's essentially a ban. Hmm. Agriculture is exempt in every one of those. Okay. So... A farmer wants to buy a fertilizer, they can go buy it. And the thought is, well, they know what they're doing. It's an economic decision for them. For us, it's more aesthetics. Yeah, right? I was just going to say, convenience. Benefit, aesthetics. you mean people just want their yard looking good. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, so that, that's kind of a question that I, that I, I would love to pose to, to the citizen of Kentucky. You know, do, do we want to continue to overapply phosphorus? Because it looks pretty bad. We have a tremendous amount of phosphorus going into our watersheds from the urban environment that we, you know, this is phosphorus that we don't need to be putting down. And what kind of negative impacts uh, do you get there? Uh, eutrophication. So, so we end up with this algae blooms, you know, uh, if you guys remember, uh, was it 2014, 2016, mm -hmm. city of Toledo uh, had to shut their taps off because they had a toxic algal bloom in their, their intake uh, off of Lake oh. Erie. Uh, that set off a lot of, you know, governor got involved. They were trying to uh, uh, really put the hammer on some agricultural uh, communities up there. So it's, it's you know, it, is it all ag? Well, the data in Kentucky says no. It says that if you, the people that are abusing the system are, are from the urban sector. Wow. And I always tell people when they call, is like, if you want to know what the highest, con highest phosphorus soils are in the state, go look in your backyard. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> can you buy? You can. 
is, ni is nitrogen a big problem or is it as big a problem as, as phosphorus as far as soil, as lawns go, I guess? That's so. a great question. Nitrogen, uh, nitrogen is an anion and, and soils have a negative charge. I get on into the weeds here, but so essentially like a magnet will repel each other. So mm -hmm. it's hard, it, it, it fluctuates, right? So you really want, if you're gonna put nitrogen down, you want a growing crop. On, on the lawn. So it's like putting gasoline on a fire, right? So, so if you've got that, the grass is really growing in the fall and in the spring, you put nitrogen down, it's gonna get sucked up pretty well. Our, our uh, mm. fescue grass doesn't, do, doesn't grow that actively in the heat of the summer. So putting it down then is not really a good time to do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you yeah. don't wanna put it down in the winter because we don't have a growing crop there. Mm -hmm. Nothing's yeah. gonna be there to take it up. Yeah. And agricultural producers know this, and it's kind of a it's, it's a strategy for them. It's like when are they going to get the rain, you know? And it's all timing, right? They really want to hit when they know that corn is going to be taken off, and they want to put that put that nutrient down uh, when they can. Yeah, yeah. So so, but you know, homeowners, we're a little different breed. We just uh, what's convenient for me. Right? Yeah, we just buy the cheapest bag or whatever. Sure. <laughs> don't really look at the three numbers. On. What's the third number? So you have phosphorus. Potassium. Potassium, yeah. Potassium is really not a water quality issue. Mm -hmm. We don't have much of a potassium deficiency in this in this state in our urban soils and the agricultural uh, sector. They, they do put potassium down on a regular basis because mm. it's sometimes it's luxury consumption. Like some plants like alfalfa will just suck up extra potassium. Doesn't really need it for growth, but it likes taking it up. Mm. Um, but it's I think it's more of a concern for agricultural community. But it's definitely not a, a water yeah. quality issue. It's oh, a okay. positive charge, sticks the soils really well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back to the uh, pet waste real quick. Yeah. You, you probably know this, but I jotted down this factoid. I wanted to see if it was correct. According to the survey data, there's approximately 0.6 dogs for every U.S. household. So for a community like Lexington, uh, uh, with our population, uh, that translates to about 70,000 dogs, and uh, which means, you were right about this, uh, dog produces, and each dog produces about 275 pounds of waste per year, which comes to over 19 million pounds of dog waste per year for Lexington, I guess. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot. Right? <laughs> that's a lot of, yeah. A lot of doggy right. bags. Yeah. A lot of <laughs> the American Veterinary Medical Association does a survey about every five years or so that says 46% of Kentucky households have two dogs. If we think about that there's 1.75 million households in the state of Kentucky, well, that is a lot of dog waste going down in our backyards. And in turn, that's also a lot of phosphorus going down in our backyards. Yeah, we, we, we love dogs here. I think the, the American <laughs> Veterinary Medical Association ranked us third number of dogs per household uh, back in 2017, or maybe it was 2012. Kentucky in general? Yeah, or we were behind Arkansas and New wow. Mexico. Wow. Love our dogs. In New Mexico? Yeah. Interesting. So uh, we, we like dogs. I think the latest poll had us at 10th, but we're still, you know. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, we like dogs. <laughs> I like cats. <laughs> <laughs> Cat Put waste? that on record. <laughs> <laughs> Is, um, so I've also seen the don't pee on my lawn banners and projects. Is that is that the same thing so, you're talking about? Is yeah. So is, separate, is that a separate project? No, no. Uh, no pee on my lawn was kind of a kind of a uh, umbrella. Pee like phosphorus. Yes, yeah. correct. <laughs> no, correct. No, yeah. but it's the get it. play on words. You get it now. <laughs> so no pee on my lawn. I use uh, I've used versions of this. I call uh, call it lawn and gardening our way to hell in a vegetable basket. <laughs> so, but the the idea is uh, we as 
backyard gardeners or back, you know, lawn, you know, we're not lawn care professionals, we're homeowners, right? And we want to look and keeping up with the Joneses. That's kind mm-hmm. of our, our attitude sometimes. So uh, sometimes we just over apply. We put down too much. We think a little is, does some good. Well, a lot must do a lot of good. That is not the case. <laughs> that is 100% not the case when it comes to nutrients. There, to produce food, we need nitrogen and phosphorus. Now, nitrogen we get in the atmosphere, right? So, so the Haber-Bosch process, we can get nitrogen from the atmosphere, put it into a fertilizer or some dry pellet that, that our farmers can produce, uh, put down. Phosphorus comes from a rock. You guys are geologists, you know that, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so we are actually mining a mineral and we're gonna spread that in a place that all because we want it to look good and we don't even need it there. Right, the Central Kentucky geology limestones are rich in phosphorus mm-hmm. uh, the, the mineral content in, in our ore division age limestones ha- uh, has a lot of phosphorus yeah 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 and and i guess you, you guys the bluegrass region i kind of look at this as a triangle from our most populated urban areas that would be northern kentucky that's cincinnati suburbs lexington to louisville right all bluegrass mm-hmm. all high phosphorus also where the bulk of our population lives yeah right yeah. And right applies phosphorus fertilizer for their backyard <laughs> right <laughs> when they absolutely do not need it interesting yeah. yeah um yeah i think there's future topic for podcasts is the linkage between you know phosphorus making strong bones and horses and horses but um but that's yeah. another topic. oh for sure but, but yeah i mean the geology here is higher in phosphorus why are we mining it and then putting it back on the lawn. Oh, I agree. I, I agree. <laughs> now we did, we did split that up. And then you mentioned a great point, like the bluegrass physiographic region considerably higher. Well, we took our 25 year data that I mentioned earlier, and we split that up based on physiographic province. Mm. And we found that, and, and then split those physiographic provinces amongst urban soil tests and agricultural soil tests. doesn't matter what physiographic region we hit, we have the urban sector is always higher. It's just, I mean, to me, that's anthropogenic. So yeah. we, you know, yeah. Human, yeah. humans are, you know, we want that lawn. Or it's because <laughs> typically our cities are going to grow in some some nice flat area that, that was farmed and was probably good farmland oh. at the time. So oh, prime right. farmland mm-hmm. is where that city's going to grow. So at one time it was agricultural land. It's just like, you know, Henry Clay, you know, used to own our neighborhood. Right? Oh, yeah. So, so that was a farm, and we inherited that. So if he overapplied phosphorus, well, we already have high phosphorus yeah. there from our it's residual yes kinda, uh, brad and i live in the same neighborhood oh really oh. We, we discovered yeah. that not too yeah. long ago yeah. <laughs> how long does it stay like stick around then like you, you mentioned like, uh, you inherited it right yeah so it does stay that long it's it yes yeah so okay. so uh that's that's been addressed or called by some of the, the research folks look at that as legacy phosphorus right uh, so legacy phosphorus then we've got the the background phosphorus right that's that's this huge buffer capacity we have in the parent material that, you know, as our plants might take it up, well, the, about the only place we actually remove phosphorus is going to be our pasture land or where we grow grain, right? Because oh, phosphorus okay. gets into that crop and then we remove it, yeah. right? That's the only time it gets, mm. it gets removed. So if we are putting, you know, if we're having a lawn... And if we're not bagging that grass, and we, we tell <laughs> nobody, to, you know, please don't bag your grass, right? Yeah, right, yeah. So you never remove that phosphorus. That phosphorus might move it into the blades of that grass, and you put that those blades back down. Interesting. You don't need to put down phosphorus, right? Because you are, every time, you're not removing it. Yeah. 
Now I'm just picturing mounds of phosphorus <laughs> in the backyard, I guess. <laughs> so, I mean, this, this is the, the point. So four and a half million people in this state, can we educate all of them so that want a house or a lawn? Or, or do, we, do we adopt what these other 11 states did? And they just said, well, homeowners, you know, let's, let's make a you can't do collective this. decision and just decide, hey, if we don't make it available, then people won't put it down. Yeah. yeah. The science has to, to talk and facts have to matter and it seems like that could well that's hard easier said than done in states like ours i guess but uh, you know yeah I, guess, I mean what's the downside of not of doing that i mean is somebody going to lose money as the big phosphorus going to lose money off of yeah, yeah that's so. what i'm thinking uh, through right now oh, well, we I'm can, we can like cut that part <laughs> advertising <laughs> and like misinformation just from yeah, well, uh, one of the early early folks, and the folks that have a very large market share is, is Scott's, right? Scott's fertilizer, oh, yeah. and and uh, because of the Chesapeake Bay issues, they just cut phosphorus out of all of their lawn fertilizer except for one, and that's what they're calling their starter fertilizer. And their justification for that is when a when a, a grass seed is very small and when it's brand new and it's just starting to grow, those roots have to come in contact with phosphorus mm -hmm. to take it up. And that's why how they justify selling that product. Now, other, other, you know, well, it's still available, right? So it's, it's sort of yeah. like a cereal box. Scott's has the, the end caps and they've got eye level stuff. But you look below that complete fertilizer, that triple 10, that triple 17, these off brands, they're, they're all available, right? So if you're a bargain yeah. hunter, you will find that complete, uh, complete fertilizer okay. bag and, and that's what you'll put down. Complete as in it has nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Do your homework, call an extension agent. Oh, Find please. out what's going Get on. Yeah. yeah, it's easy. Get yeah, a soil test, soil test and, and, uh, and then do what they recommend. Yeah. Uh, earlier you mentioned working with Glenn Beck, who's a geologist here at the Geological Survey, works in our Henderson office, and you guys have been working on projects for years now. Um, you want to talk about any of those? I know you work on an edge of field nutrient Erosion oh, yes. project. We'll, sure, uh, sure. Take it where you will. So uh, we've got an edge of field water quality monitoring project going on in Western Kentucky, and this is a network. I say network. I, that sounds like we're all real coordinated, uh, but there's several states that are doing this, and the the idea is we we will go into or we'll we'll ask a, a farmer if we can set up this edge of field monitoring um, system. So it includes a flume and, a, and an ISCO water sampler. So it's taking water samples based on a known volume of water that runs off with the goal of finding out how much nitrogen and phosphorus is running off of that field. Just to be clear, this is equipment and sensors and sampling stuff that's on the edge of a farmer's exactly crop field or exactly. soybeans, whatever it is. Right. Okay. So, so uh, the way, you know, essentially what we're trying to find out is if a farmer uh, invests a tremendous amount of money and nutrients to grow that corn or soybean or whatever they're, the crop they're trying to grow, um, they would love to know, well, how much of, of that investment am I losing? How much is running off with, with the water if they get a significant rainfall event? So that's what we're trying to quantify. So how much nitrogen and phosphorus, so essentially how much money is, go, is not going where that farmer wants it to be. In addition to that, we also monitor sediment. Right, so we're looking at uh, you know soils. We look at that as erosion from an agriculture yep. perspective. I think geologists look at that as sediment or siltation or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time. So so 
that's 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 it in a nutshell. So we will carve out a small uh, watershed, so three to fifteen acres, and we will uh, build a berm. And it's it's a very low right. berm, so the right. farmer can still do everything they want to do in that field. They're just kind enough to let us go out there after a rainfall event and collect that sample. And we work with some great folks in Western Kentucky. We've got that on row crop fields, and then we've got some on wetlands. So mm, these oh, are the right. ag conservation easement program, and this this is land that a a landowner has given up the right to farm. They still own it. They can set up. They can do a lot of different things to it. They just can't farm on it. And most of the time, that uh, these are wetland or wetland adjacent areas that the NRCS has gone in. They planted a bunch of trees on and yeah. uh, we're yeah. trying to monitor so the goal there is to find out hey i know a lot of taxpayer dollars are going into converting that land into a wetland to reduce nutrient runoff and sediment runoff so how effective are they so that's what we're trying to do and this is all funded by the nrcs you know we're not we're yeah. working with them. sure sure they, they want to evaluate their own technique here that's interesting wetlands we should do an episode on wetlands sure That'd be super yeah. cool. there's I saw, we talked about CAM before we hit record here, Kentucky Association of Mitigation Managers, and I was at the meeting there a few weeks ago, and um, scientists from DOW gave a talk on wetlands, and it's mm-hmm. fascinating. I mean, super important. Um, lots of mitigation uses for wetlands. Uh, so, anyway, tangent there, but something we should, we should talk about. So, so just to, just to make sure I, I put a plug in for the folks that actually are funding this work, this is funded by the farmers. So the farmers give us permission to do this. In addition to that, the Kentucky Soybean uh, Promotion Board is helping fund this, and the Kentucky Ag Development Board mm. all invested in this edge of field project, project oh, okay. on these ways. Yeah. So, so these are folks that are interested in knowing themselves so it's 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 nice because you know they're not they're not saying uh oh you know ag doesn't pollute no they're saying they're saying if there's a water quality issue we want to know yeah and if there's not a water quality issue quality issue we're going to tell the world about it <laughs> yeah right yeah right yeah. <laughs> uh yeah that's awesome that's the way it should be way it should work mm-hmm. um any other projects we min- missed, Brad? Uh, other stuff? Those are the biggies and yeah. the most fun, right? The, yeah. the dog race is always a lot of fun. We can talk about more poop if we, if yeah. we want to, guys. <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> so we're, we're, we're trying to take this program, and I, I want to mention the folks that help fund this. Uh, Kentucky Water Resources Research Institute funds some of the research on that. The fertilizer we're looking at runoff, agricultural runoff on turf grass plots. I'm sorry, not, not agricultural runoff, but uh, urban runoff. Uh, we're looking at starter fertilizers. Do you actually need them or do you don't? Or do you not? We did that in a laboratory setting. We'd love to take that out to the field. We're just trying to find some funding to do that. Um, and the LFUCG, Lexington Fayette County mm-hmm. Urban Government, is very kind to help fund this no pee educational program. Oh, and they awesome. funded us uh, three times over the past six, seven years. And uh, uh, what's what's nice about LFUCG is. We will work for them, and we will we will fill out, you know make sure that we're we're doing all the work here. But then they're happy with us taking that out to the other MS4 communities. So so oh, that's that's, nice. that's very that nice. nice. Yeah. So apply uh, every, apply your knowledge. Yeah. Yep. So we talked to we talked to our MS4 uh, communities in these 34 counties that have them, our county agents, and we share the, these programs with them. That's great. What else, you all? Anything else from you? All? No. No, my mind's still kind of blown. I know. It's like, I was just, I was, I, exactly. I was thinking, you know, like, God, Brad, you, oh, there's tons of information here, and, and uh, we've kind of bottled it up uh, up here for this episode. But, uh, yeah, my wheels are spinning with more 
content stuff. So maybe we can do a, a round two with you uh, at oh, some absolutely. point. We say that to every every guest, yeah. but uh, <laughs> there's there's always so much to learn and talk about, and um, that's why we have good guests on. So Brad, uh, thank you for coming on. Great guest, good information. Appreciate yeah. it. Oh yeah, that was thanks, great. Matt, yeah. Sarah, yeah, yeah. yeah Doug, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you all. Cool. See ya. Right. Bye. Bye. This podcast was produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. Special thanks to Rebecca Frazier for technical support. If you have ideas for the show, email mcrawford at uky.edu. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>